Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse number 37 through verse 40. The Bible says, uh, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. And with what? And with what? This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pay attention to verse 40. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You may be seated. This morning I want to, in our series on love, evolving in our love, I want to talk about law and love. Law and love. And the text is really going to be where we end uh, but I want to begin by getting rid of some misconceptions about law. Uh, it is often said, and we've often heard, that Jesus took the law and he got rid of the law. How many of you have heard that or understood that? The reality is, we as preachers and preachers all over the place, we really need to be very careful about how we say things because word-shaped ideologies and ideologies can be false and be built on false premises if the wrong words are used. Jesus did not come, watch this, to destroy the law. He did not come, his primary purpose was not that he came to get rid of the law. Anything God makes is right. Hello? Whatever God makes is right. Because if God makes something today and something God establishes today other than man, because we mess up sometimes what God establishes, anything God established today and, uh, and he establishes uh, through law, it doesn't become wrong later. Are you understanding this? And I'm talking about anything that we can't touch. Because we've tampered with, humanity has tampered with some things and God established some things like he made us right. He made us right. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse number 29, he made us upright but we sought out various devious inventions. So, but when it comes to the law of God, it's right. It doesn't become wrong later. But the problem with law that sometimes we have is sometimes, and this is the device of the devil, we look as, at law as being antagonistic to love. Okay? We look at law, the law, as being what was against us in and of itself. 
And so there's law and there's love. And I've heard it taught and I've heard it preached in different settings from different areas and different conferences and different lectureships that Jesus came away to do away with the law. That was his purpose. And now uh, there's love. And, and watch this. Love has replaced law. No, God's law still stands. He has not changed anything. His law is still the same. What God said is what God said. So it isn't that God sent Jesus to do away with the law. He actually sent Jesus to be the fulfillment of the law. Not to do away with the law. As a matter of fact, the reason why Jesus died is because he was fulfilling the law for people who could not keep the law and the motivation of why God sent Jesus was that he loved the people who couldn't keep the law so much that he sent his son to keep the law for us. And then carry our sins on his shoulders. And I'm going to show you how much we can't keep the law. And here's the first point. And we're going to go to Genesis. I want everybody to go to Genesis chapter 2. And, and uh, let's, let's take this pilgrimage together. Everybody look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 16 and 17. But let me tell you something. The, before we get the law, that's the Old Testament, right? Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everything in it, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, and we're going to talk about that. At one point, there was only one law. And you say, I thought this was about love. Hold on, you'll understand what I'm saying. The first point is God's law was produced and motivated by God's love. Love is what moved God to implement law. Now watch this. One law that we as humanity had. One rule. Okay? Yes, God is about relationship. But I want you to see something. This is us in the garden. This is the representation of all of humanity through Adam. God gave one law. Now, now... Uh, wouldn't it be a great, wouldn't this be a great world, wouldn't this be a great, a great country if there was only one law? I mean, one law, that would, it, there should be nobody in prison if there was one law. There should be nobody in trouble, there should be nobody getting tickets, there should be nobody, I mean, if there was one law. Let me beg to differ. We had one law. What does the Bible say in Genesis chapter 2? This is it. God created the garden. You have God creating the garden. He puts man in the garden. Now watch this. He commanded the man saying what? You have all of this liberty. From any tree in this garden, you can eat. Read. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. The day you eat from this tree, now watch this, one rule, one. Now, now when we put law against love, we humanize the law and the love of God. We do that. Now, humanity might do that. 
may put law against love. But the law, the one rule that God gave us as humanity was not a rule put in place so that we can be restricted, so that we can, no, no, his love put the rule in place. Listen to what he didn't say. He didn't say the day you eat thereof, I'm going to kill you. That's not what he said. He said, Adam, you can eat from every tree in this garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The day you eat it, you will what? So why would not God put one rule in place if he loved Adam, if he knew that if Adam ate the tree, he would die? Law was the product of love. Let me, let me, some of you are missing it. Let me, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, okay, so uh, as small children, our kids, as small children, we told them, okay, don't mess with the stove. That's a rule. If you mess with the stove, you can be burned. We didn't say if you mess, if we mess with the stove, if you mess with the stove, we're going to burn you. I'm going to tell you what the devil does with us as humans today. The devil will play on your mind and make you misconceive the law to be against the rule of love. The law in Scripture is not because God wants to punish you. It's there because God loves you the same way we tell our children, don't touch the stove. Because if you touch the stove, this is what God was saying in the garden. Adam, don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. The day you do it is the day you die. Right? That's what he said. This was not, watch this, Adam did it. Adam and Eve did it. But this wasn't God punishing them. As we talked about last week, this was the consequence. The word consequence is two words, really. Con means with. Sequence means a, a series of events with order. In other words, you do this, the next thing that happens is this. So when God put the one rule in place, he did not put the one rule in place so that he can restrict us. He put the one rule in place, this is the second point, because love is protective and rules protect us. Are you understanding this? The law of the Old Testament is there to protect us. Everything we're not supposed to do as children of God is there to protect us. So when the children of Israel came to the wilderness, he, came, he gave them what's called the ten what? Commandments. That was the law. Okay? And law was there. All of God's law, laws are there to protect us. Now watch this. The penalty may not feel protective. But the penalty is there to enforce the law, and the law is there as an act of love. Say amen if you know what I'm saying. 
So let's not do the thing where we put law against love. God's law is not against love. God's law doesn't go to battle with love. God's law is in place because he loves us so much that what God will do is he will tell us the sequence of things that will happen once we overstep his boundary and he tells us the boundary because he loves us. Now, we can't humanize God because sometimes we put laws in place for selfish reasons. Sometimes we put rules in, in relationships in place for separate reasons, uh, for selfish reasons. Like, for instance, one rule I had, I'll be transparent, that I put in place uh, in my house uh, that for a selfish reason. Uh, I said, well, I'll say, don't touch my little Debbie cakes. This was back in the day. Don't touch my cakes, right? There was, no, there was no consequence that they needed to worry about. Don't touch my little Debbie cakes because in the day you touch them, you're going to have problems with me. That was all. There was nothing protective about that. I was protecting me. And humanistic love, watch this, puts law in place, not always for the good of the person or motivated by love, but sometimes motivated by selfishness. And because of this, we are not in a position to know what love is. God had to show us, okay? Now, in the text we read, God gives us a command. And the command is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, right? Love the person next to you right now. Some of you don't know what to do. I didn't say hug the person. I didn't say shake their hand. I did, no, follow me, follow me. I, this is, this is going to be brief. I didn't say shake their hand. I didn't say, I didn't say, I, I didn't say hug the person, kiss the person, you know, pat the person on the back. My, what I said was love the person next to you. Humanistically, we automatically associate love with some kind of action. Right? Uh, however, the challenge of that is that you can perform the action. Oh, come on in this house. Y'all not going to come with me? I don't want to get closer to you, but the reality is there's a lot of fake love in the world today. And when I say fake love, I'm talking about expressions of love. So watch this. God tells us to love, and he tells us to love on command. How do I love on command? Well, watch this. I can hug on command. I can pat you on the back on command. But how can I love on command? Okay? Love has an emotional element to it. Right? That's like you dating somebody. Right? You meet this, sisters, you meet this guy and he's everything you look for. I mean, he's, he's tall, he's athletic, you know, he has just the right amount of midsection. 
He's wearing burgundy. <laughs> he smells good. <laughs> He's taller than you. I'm going to tell you the problem with loving in an emotional sense on command. I love my wife more today than I did when we met. Because human love is developmental. So to have an emotional love on demand is virtually impossible with the human experience. So this can't be that God is saying, love me like that. No, 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 no. That's like me first meeting her saying, you need to love me. What's the first thing you're going to say to somebody who comes up to you and says, you need to love me? You know the first thing you're going to say? I don't even Because that kind of humanistic kind of love has to be done through some kind of developmental process. So if God is not talking about the emotional, mushy, physical kind of love, even though that is a type of love. When God says to us, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind, in this text it was actually based upon a Jewish scripture that all Jews used to recite, and it was called the Shema. Everybody go to Deuteronomy. Let me show you something. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse number 4. And then we're going to bring this thing in context, and then we're going to help you because I'm going to tell you something. How do you love God? Okay? Uh, one of the great authors, I believe his name is Gary Smalley, uh, his needs, her needs, right? I hear people referencing his needs, her needs. What is, what is, what is your, your love language? And that's good. It's very good. It's very good. You know, mine's an acts of service. You know, my, well, my love language is, is affection, it's touch. My love language, and people will say what their love language is, right? That's my love language. But what do you do to, when it comes to, mine is giving gifts. What do you do when it comes to loving a God who you can't give anything to that he doesn't own already? What, is, what, what do you do when it, when it comes to loving a God when it comes to well, mine is touch that you can't touch? So this is not the humanistic love we're talking about. So right now, when it comes to loving God, I want you to get every love song you heard out of your head temporarily. I want you to get the look in the eye, the sparkle in the eye, the hugs. I want you to get all of that. And now we're going to understand love in its fundamental, foundational sense. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse number 4, this was the Jewish Shema. What does the Bible say? Hear, O Israel, every Jew recited this during the time of Jesus, and even some, even now, recite this. This is called the Shema, or the Shema, as some would call it, but really it's pronounced Shema. Read. The Lord is our God. Uh-huh. And the Lord is one. They would quote this every morning, every day. Read. It. Read. And you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your soul with all your might. Okay, now watch this. Watch this. This was something they quoted every day. Easier to quote than to do. 
But remember we established that God puts law in place to teach us and law is based on love. So how do I love God? I know how to love my wife. I see her. I can give her gifts. I can, as a matter of fact, I can surprise her, right? I can surprise her on Valentine's Day. How? And that's my way of loving. Well, I can buy her gifts. I can say, baby, I'm going to buy you these shoes. But how, if that's the only, the limit of the definition of love, how can I do that with God? What is God expecting of me when he says I should love him? And when he commands me to love, he doesn't say, please love me. He doesn't say, will you love me? He said, you must love me. It's a command. What do I do? How do do I react? What kind of service do I give? How can I see and where can I find how to love God? Well, law teaches something. Everybody go to Exodus chapter 20, and we're not going to go through every verse. But the first four commandments, God basically tells Israel, how to love them, okay? The next six commandments, he tells Israel how to love each other, okay? And I'm just going to kind of go over them, and you can highlight it in your Bible. The first commandment that God gives in the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other God before me. This is God saying, this is how you love me. How do you know that this is God saying, this is how you love me? Because Jesus said in our text that all of the law and all of the prophets are summed up in these two phrases. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with God, the next six deal with each other. And then Jesus says, I'm going to sum up the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your might, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if those two statements describing love is summed up in the law, if you want to see those statements explained, you have to go to the what? To the law. Well, this is the first thing God says. You shall have no other God before me. If you want to know how to love God, he has to be only. You, 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 you fall short of loving God if there's a God above him. Come on now. God says you should not have any God before me. In other words, I need to be your one and only true and living God. You ought not because if you promote another God, you demote me. Now, now I know, I know what you're thinking. I thought loving God is saying, love, Lord, I love you. No, 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 no. That's saying you love God. But the commandment to love God 
is found in the breakdown of the two statements. The two statements are number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And the second statement, he says, that sums up the law, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's packed in these two statements? The law. And the law said, I need to be first. You should not have any other gods before me. I don't care how much you emotionally express yourself to God. If he's not God in your life, you don't love him. Like he says and commands us to love him. The second law is he says, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. What do you mean an idol? In other words, your worship and your affection should be toward me. Doesn't that kind of sound like marriage? Oh, y'all not, not, not hearing this. Because love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. Watch this. It is not, the love of God is not a commitment, watch this, to understand God first, but to obey him. Because guess what? There will be times you obey God and don't understand what he's doing. I wish I had a witness in my house. There are some times in my life I'm trying to do the right thing, but I don't see how the right thing is going to pay off. Second, the third, the third, let me move quickly. The third law is he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Respect me. Put some respect on it. A person can say they love God all they want to. But if you don't respect God, what does it mean to respect God? What does that actually mean? look like? What does it look like? It means, watch this, to remain true in honoring who God is and not misrepresenting God with your mouth. Amen. Let me move, let me move further. The next one he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do you know why he says this? Because God sanctified the seventh day. In other words, let me put this in layman's terms. Make important to you what's important to me. You love God by making important to you what's important to him. Whenever something's important to God and you minimize it in your own life, that is evidence that you are weak in the love department of God. But let me tell you something, because you may not get it. You may not get it. And sometimes we have to humanize it for you to feel it. If you come home to your spouse and say, yeah, I passed the test. I passed the test. This is, I'm so excited. And they say, oh, okay. What you cook for dinner? Why is that offensive? And there's a series of things in your life that are important. It's important for me that this and that and the other. And they don't deem it important. It's offensive because there's not a oneness on respecting that if this is important to me, it ought to be important to you if you feel for me the way you say you do. Y'all mighty quiet in here. Y'all mighty quiet in here. The next six commandments have to do with loving each other. The next six commandments, honor your father and your mother. That's a one another thing. 
you shall not murder. That's one another thing, right? Because we can't murder God, even though when he became flesh, they murdered God, right? You shall not commit adultery. That's a one another thing. You shall not steal. That's a one another thing. You shall not give false testimony. Don't lie. Don't lie on each other. That's a one another thing. You shall not covet your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's donkey. All of that. That's a one another thing. So what Jesus says in Matthew 22 is that let me sum up all 10 of these. I'm going to sum up all of the law and the prophets. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, your soul, and the other texts use strength. And number, number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see why love isn't always easy? Now, neighbor means fellow man. It doesn't mean the person you live next to. So don't get it twisted. Let's not be technical. We'd be trying to find loopholes in scripture and stuff. Like, where you live? Oh, you live in Cedar Hill? Well, I live in Pleasant Grove. I don't have to love you. (laughs) No, don't be technical. Your fellow man, your neighbor, the person. Watch this. And then Jesus takes it deeper in Matthew 5, 44 and 45, and he says... Love your enemies. Now, what does that mean to love your enemies? He didn't say feel like loving them. And that's the problem with love. Some of us are waiting to feel something. And sometimes feelings are stimulated from other people's actions. And God is not waiting for other people. He's not going to, he's not telling us, wait till they stimulate your feelings of favor toward them. No, no. He says, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because your association to God is going to be found not in how you worship, not in how you sing, not in how you give, not in how often you come to church, but by this shall all men know that you belong to me by the love you have one for another. So a person may not look like a Christian based on human standards. Because you know we have human standards. We have a thing called look like a Christian. I need to come closer. Look like a Christian. What you doing with that on? Tattoos? Mm Mm-mm. You see how we use so many superficial things? Look like a Christian. We have a culture where you have to look a certain way, hold yourself a certain way. And we even project it on God and we say, God wants your best. (laughs) Who's defining best here? Hello? Because you can have a spoiled yolk in a clean eggshell. What, who's defining best? God is looking past the exterior. And we say, well, look, you know, you, you need to look, have the look. And the problem is we live in a society that has mastered the veneer and stopped maintaining the interior. You know what that's like, right? 
Uh, let, me, let me help you. That's like when you have company coming and you don't know company is coming. Uh, uh, somebody in my house does this. I ain't saying no names. But somebody in my house, let me move away because she said, don't do me. Somebody in my well, well, you know, this is what we would do. You know, some we we got company coming. You know, and, uh, ding dong. And if you've ever come to our house, and we took an extra, we took extra long time. <laughs> if we if we took an extra long time to get to the door, let me tell you what was going on on the inside. And, now, if anybody else finds out, I know you guys told it. What was going on on the outside? First, there's the evaluation of the presentation. Right? We look around, right? And if there's stuff here, there, and everywhere, which sometimes we can get comfortable with because it's our place of living, uh, don't front. Everybody's like that. Amen. And what we do is we run and we, we run and we take it and we throw. There's a room designated for it. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, that room happens to be my office at the house, right? Get that over there. <laughs> right? So watch this. When company comes in, oh, oh man, we get to the door. Oh, I had to, you rang? How many times you rang the door back? How many times you rang? We got to get this doorbell fixed. Everything's pristine. The problem is, when company leaves, there were times we forgot about the room. So we end up with a pristine presentation while neglecting the ugly. So love is not about this pristine presentation, how you doing, fine, looking the part, doing the part. Love is best seen in, watch this, in not even what you give, but when it's time for you to forgive. When you talk about love, don't even talk about giving. Well, somebody said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? You know why he gave? Do you know why he gave his only son? Because that was the only way we can be forgiven. That's why he gave. He gave to forgive. The only way we would get forgiveness of sin is if he gave his son. So it was deeper than giving. It was about forgiving. And it's easy to give yourself an A in the love department when you have not been sinned against. But what happens when somebody does something, watch this, not by accident, not by mistake, but by intent. Jesus says, love. Now, love is manifest in action. So in the New Testament, Jesus gives us examples of actions. Paul gives examples of actions. One, at one point, Paul says, if your enemy's hungry, 
feed him. If he's thirsty, give him the drink. Now, I'm going to tell you how Jesus doesn't just tell us. He modeled it. The people he chose as his disciples, he knew aforetime what they were going to do. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon, Simon Zelotes. And he actually chose Judas. How many of you, knowing that this person was going to hurt you in the worst way, still choose the person? Society masters being so discerning that you don't select the wrong friends, you don't select the wrong uh, co-workers, you go where and say, we seek, watch this, environments that are less love challenging. So God doesn't leave it up to us. Because if he left it up to us, we would only deal with people that are easy to love. So, so, so I see on the timeline of Facebook, you know, I got to make better choices. I keep choosing people in your life. No, 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 no. It may not be that you chose those people. It may be that God chose those people for you. God will bless you with a thorn to grow you up in love. Let me in, let me, let me in, let me in, let me in. Let's bring this plane down for landing. We go to our text. And somebody said, well, how does this reconcile the law piece? It reconciles the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. How did he fulfill the law? His father was first. There was no other God before him. He did all of that, and then for humanity in one act, in one single act, he showed and demonstrated love for the people who far from deserved it. So Jesus sums up the law with these two phrases in our text. Matthew 22, we're just about done. He says to this man who was actually trying to test him, this, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. The second is like it. So watch this. The Ten Commandments basically Half of them are similar, and the other half are similar. The, the top half is, is the establishment of loving God. The bottom half is the establishment of loving each other. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You don't need rules where love is perfected. Are you understanding this? 
it isn't that rules are not given. It's some people have to operate on keeping the rules. But when the Lord develops love in you, you don't have to operate on keeping the rules because you're operating from something deeper than rules can express. You're operating from love. And I'm going to tell you something. All of us know this. Nobody has to give you a list of rules when you have a baby or you got grandbabies. Don't, you know, don't push the baby out into the street. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't take, don't stop feeding the child. No, you don't have to get that list of rules. They don't give you this list of rules when you leave the hospital because the assumption is, watch this, that you love that baby and when you love that baby, there are certain things that are automatically off limits. And if you love me and I love you, there are just some things we just can't do. If it's love. God bless you this morning. Give God some glory. Uh, we stopped short because I do know that uh, I do know that many of us have begun love practice. Let me give you a testimony that uh, you know. It, it seems like uh, God gives these experiences. Whatever we're teaching on, we're going to be tested on. Whatever God is teaching you. He's going to test you on it. The ISDs, the independent school districts, there's this big, there's this big test, the STAR test. Right? It used to be the tax, right? Uh, tax, test, tax, test, EBT. Yeah, I'm from I'm New York. Keep that in mind. So I don't, I don't know. If, but, but, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense. Watch this. It doesn't make sense to teach the students on something that's not going to show up on the test. What sense does that make? You, it's a setup for failure to teach something that's not going to show up on the test. So when the Word of God goes out, you better believe God, the Holy Spirit, is teaching something that's going to show up on the test. So when you get to next week and somebody gets on that last little piece of nerve you have, refer to what you were taught. That's how you pass the test. You refer to what the Spirit taught. And I'm not a prophet, but I will predict that before this day turns into Wednesday, half of us, at least, are going to experience something that challenges our love. Amen. Oh, I wish you could see what I see because I see some faces that are telling me it's already happened. Looking <laughs> some of y'all looking over at the person next to you. It already happened. If you're not a child of God, I've come to tell you that God loves you. Hell, hell wasn't even made for us. Hell was made so that we can enjoy God without the demons that bother us down here. That's why hell was made. The problem is, God is not going to force you to give your life to him. He loves you. He says, love me. And then he goes first showing what that looks like. 
And he says, the way I love you, love me, love one another. And if you love God, you'll come to him. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead for your sins? That is the gospel message. That's what the gospel is, that God sent Jesus to pay the price so that you can receive, you and I can receive the forgiveness of sins. God says this is what it costs for you to get forgiveness. It costs my son. And you can tell sometimes the extent of love by the value of the gift. I know we live in a society, well, it doesn't matter how, you know, what it is. You know, it's the thought that counts. You sisters need to stop playing. (laughs) Please stop. Please stop. Because you know if your husband went to the dollar store and bought you four packs of Bubblicious chewing gum, you're going to have a problem with the Valentine's Day experience. God took heaven's most expensive commodity to pay for earth's least deserving entity. And he says, I'm doing this because I love you. Stand to your feet. Come believing, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus to be the Son of God, being buried with Christ in baptism. If you're here and you need to come, come right now. Maybe you're here and you failed some of those love tests. We can pray for you right now as together we sing.